Welcome to Shift with CJ. I'm your host CJ and together we will explore the areas of health, human performance, biohacking, psychology and much more that will inspire you to become the best version of yourself. So welcome everyone to this special episode of the Shift with CJ podcast. Why is it special? Because most of the times you've seen me talking to guests over various platforms like Zoom or Zencaster, and you guys normally see a recording later, right? But today I decided to do something different. I decided to go live. And why live? Because some of you who are in your offices or who are just like chilling can log into it and get this information firsthand. And today I have someone really special. Why special? Because he has done so many different things in his life. My guest on the show today, which is right here, is a author. He is also an expert in breathwork. He does courses, training material. He's been a monk. He is also, um, remind me if I'm correct, uh, holds a company which is called Breathflow Wellness. That is correct. That is correct. Okay. Christian, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, CJ. How are you doing today? Doing great. Being here in Dubai, uh, as we were talking, this was unique as well, that uh, we're, we're actually face-to-face versus over Zoom or something like that. When you reached out to me, I didn't. I thought that you knew that I came to Dubai and mm-hmm. it happens to be a fluke here. So Yeah, this is another interesting story, guys. So I reached out to Christian because of his work. And um, I reached out to him with an aim that we would probably do this online, like the rest of the podcast. And he sends me a message back saying that I am in Dubai. And I was like, wow, this could be a great opportunity for us to connect. Because in all fairness, I know there's these restrictions and people can get out and things like that. But the human connection you have when you're looking, when you're sitting with someone, you're in the presence of their energy, they're in the presence of your energy, you can look into their eyes, things become different. And this is one of the other reasons why I always tell people that if it's safe to do so, and if it's your government or your country approves it, then please make sure that you do get that human connection, you do get that time with people, because isolation can save you but then when you are super isolated you can also get lonely and that could host another set of problems as you probably know so christian again welcome to the show thank you you have been a monk right yes and how long was that for i was a monk for 10 years 10 years wow now, when I speak to people all around the world, they they're either want to be doctors, they want to be engineers, they want to do something fancy with cryptocurrency because now everyone's been talking about crypto and Bitcoin and things like this. But I hardly have come across someone who wants or has been a monk. So why did you decide to be a monk? Uh, well, it all started when we went off the gold standard back in 1970. Okay. <laughs> Just, I, that's sort of a joke, but not uh, actually. When I was young, I'd heard that we went off the gold standard that kind of plays into cryptocurrency and all that. Mm. But the, and at, at that time, I was like, you mean our money? Uh, I was young, but in my head, I was like, 
you mean our money is not backed by something tangible. It's just what, then what is it? But nobody could, nobody could really tell me mm -hmm. how things were structured. I, I started to see how made up our world is like we're, we're fabricating how we interact in this world. So I started to say, well, what's the truth behind all this? What is like actually true? And you know, what is, what is something we're just constructing? And that led me deeper and deeper into the rabbit hole of spirituality, which, you know, came, came in touch with, uh, you know, the purpose of life, which is really our own spiritual evolution, mm -hmm. our, our ability to grow, to evolve and, and ultimately attain the, the highest actualization of our, of our character that, that is possible. So that's kind of where it started. It, of course, it took many, many years before mm -hmm. I, I never knew that I was actually, I never had this desire to be a monk until you know, I was exposed to it many years later. And did this um, curiosity of finding or separating the illusion from what is what people have been showing us for the rest of our lives or from the beginning of our life and the things that we're normally chasing, which is probably money, fame, power, um, sex, drugs, to get into the state that you feel, okay, you know what, there is... Um, now I'm satisfied. But again, that's all an illusion, right? So were there like any books or was there, did you have any mentors in your life that led you to that? Uh, yeah, the books. I mean, one of the first books that I, on that path was uh, Be Here Now by Ram Das. Mm -hmm. If you're familiar with Ram Das, who was Richard Albert, uh, a scientist, uh, I believe they were in Harvard, Richard Albert, Timothy Leary, mm -hmm. experimenting with LSD back in the 1960s until it became illegal. And then uh, Richard Albert went to India and um, uh, found a guru, Neem Karol, Karoli Baba, and okay. uh, he became Ram Das. He, mm -hmm. he, he took the spiritual route. Timothy Leary took the more intellectual route and continued to, to lecture as a professor and such. Uh, so he wrote this book, Be Here Now, which kind of is a very, uh, very simple, but very powerful, you know, treatise to the, the mm -hmm. spiritual life. So that, uh, Alan Watts, mm -hmm. I, I read early on uh, one book in particular called The Wisdom of Insecurity that just, you know, put it, put into focus that nothing is secure you know, nothing's in our control nothing is and so let go <laughs> you know just mm -hmm. when you let go of control when you let go of trying to be secure there is a a deeper security that then you know holds you so those and then um of course where i became a monk was in the uh in the order that was started by paramahansa yogananda author of autobiography of a yogi so that, uh, that book was instrumental, of course, in me steering my way to, um, to the spiritual life. And when you were, when you were a monk, um, did you have to travel somewhere to be a monk? Did you have to get like a former monk training or <laughs> did you figure this out by yourself? Yeah, I had to travel to Los Angeles. Okay, Los Angeles. <laughs> so and where was, are you based out of at that point? Yeah, I was in I was in San Diego at that okay. point. Okay. So I was around the organization already, and so that was. But but California is where the headquarters was. There was there's a branch in India, mm -hmm. but 
they they encouraged those who were westerners to stay in the the western uh branch of the order and so that's where i was you pointed out to something really interesting which was letting go and something that you said something along the lines of not controlling now when i look at myself included and maybe 75% or upwards of 75% of the world most of the people have this false sense of security and everyone's trying to control the next outcome now you can control things by studying this is an approach to it because you might feel like if i know so much about a topic there is a probability that i can control it you could control things by not doing things right like the perfect example would be like not getting out of your house because you don't want to catch an infectious disease which is um surrounding the world right now and there are so many other things where people try to control themselves but talk to us why controlling doesn't get you anything because i also know for a fact that you can you can be a genius and you can be like you can be on the levels of albert einstein but the way this universe operates right the way that tidal waves move on a full moon night that the way the winds move the way the birds are migrating from one corner to the other all of these things are you can have some kind of a logic to it but i think as humans we're far off from really understanding what it is what it is to um kind of put logic into it and every time you think of something from one dimension thinking that oh you know what um a leads to b uh you think that there is some kind of a control and then most of the people with this having this level of control they just walk and they fall flat on their face and then you start to realize like you know what nothing is ever in control you might be faced with a uh, bad luck or a good luck and that could change all the <clears throat> circumstances right yeah that i think what you said there nothing is really ultimately in our control and i believe at the core we are all trying to find a way to control our final fate which mm-hmm. is death right and we all must succumb to it and the the thing is it's out of our control and and that bothers mm-hmm. humanity greatly that that this thing is approaching that we've built such a fear around and so we we ultimately want to control that but we can't and there's no saying when we will go i mean statistically most people will go later in their lives mm-hmm. but we could go tomorrow you know i could and walk out of this interview and get, get hit, hit by, by a car bus. yeah exactly and, uh, so um so this there's this inherent need to to control our destiny to to avoid death which is impossible mm-hmm. but how it usually ends up manifesting is that we we try to control other things uh, you know when something's out of our control we try to control other things like if you're um you know if you're you're destined to have this meeting with uh with somebody who's going to tell you off you know and you you know that's coming you can't control that but instead you try to control other people you might try to control your girlfriend and say don't do that you know or you might you might try to control your dog or or what you know it's like where we are projecting or displacing that need for control 
which I believe again ultimately comes to the 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 need to control our fate, which is out of our control. Now the 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 way to you know harmonize with that is to recognize we're not in control, but we can influence things. Mm-hmm. So so as you said, um, I forget the example you just made, but I usually I usually use the example of a surfer and okay. and waves. So the ocean waves come in, you know, and if you're a surfer, you like big waves. So if you see a big wave come in, try to control it. Have you ever tried to control a wave? You stand there and say, stop, you know, mm-hmm. don't, you know, I'm going to stop this wave in its tracks. It doesn't happen. The no. wave comes in, it rolls you over, you scrape on the bottom, you know, you, you swallow a gallon of salt water. You're like, this didn't work. The surfer looks at a wave and says, I can't control that thing, but I can utilize its power for my own purposes, right? Mm-hmm. I can learn how to harmonize or harness the power of that wave so that if I get in that pocket just right, I can actually ride it and mm-hmm. have a pleasant experience, even a, a, a joyous experience. So this, you know, this is the analogy for life. We can't control the things that happen, but we can often, uh, you know, intelligently influence the way things go and then leave the, the results up to um, the divine. As the, the, um, the, the scriptural text from India, the Bhagavad Gita mm-hmm. said, uh, Krishna was talking to Arjuna saying, um, yours is the right to action, not the fruits of your action. So mm-hmm. what that meant was you, can, you have the right to do anything in this world, but what comes of that is out of your control. You know, like we said, I mean, you can you can invest and you can do all this and you're hoping to make a lot of money, mm-hmm. but it's out of your control, whether the market tanks or whether mm-hmm. it, it goes exactly. up. You know, you can you can do your due diligence and, and make your best shot at it. Mm-hmm. But then you leave the results up to God, basically. And I completely agree to whatever you said. And one of the things that I would also like to add in is the fear of failure. Because I think just as the example that you gave about the surfer, if a person goes or if a surfer goes in, looks at that wave and doesn't have the fear to fail, because right now I think most of the people have also this inherent fear that, you know, what is the society going to tell me about this? What are my parents going to tell me about this? What is my girlfriend going to tell me about this? What are people on Instagram going to think about it? And that fear of failure comes with additional, I mean, you it doesn't come with responsibilities, but then it's like a forced responsibility on us that we have to look good or we have to, you know, mm-hmm. act in a certain way. And then society molds us towards doing that. But then like the surfer example, if you aren't really fearing swallowing that water, salt water, you can just go at it. And there are so many mechanisms in our body, right? Like our brain has certain uh, mechanisms to keep us safe. And, once you once you go at it and you give it your best shot and you just think that okay you know what i don't really care about the results as you just mentioned things change because somewhere or the other you can tell yourself that hey i'm you know i'm just a bit scared and that that emotion of being scared is okay because that's natural as humans as humans as animals everyone is fear, fearful but not being able to like 
stand up again after that is i think what keeps people back would you agree to that sure well i would say that fear is the root of the desire to control okay. and um the more we let go of fear the more we we let go of, of the desire for the result what's interesting is we usually end up getting the result we wanted in the mm -hmm. first place but we have to give up the mm -hmm. you, you know the the hope that is going to happen at all costs and just you know, do what you do and leave the results up to the divine. And if you do that, oftentimes the results mm -hmm. will show up. And that's what we, that's what we learned experientially time and time again, when I was living as a monk in the ashram. So. And for people who are listening, reflect back on your life. Like anecdotally, we have so much of evidence. Every time you tried to control an outcome or you were fearful of an outcome and you just kept holding or attaching onto it, chances are it didn't work. And the time that you gave up on it and you're like, you know what, let it be. It's probably not going to work. And that's the time, at least in my life and the people that I've spoken to, that's the time you sort of get those results. And you're like, oh, I didn't even have to do much. And it's just that the same thing that we're talking about is just the act of detaching yourself or letting go which sort of like, um, and the thing is, again, me or a Christian trying to explain it would also try to keep some logic into it, but there is actually no logic into it. These things happen in a way that we probably understand a bit, but we can't really define for people. Well, the, the best way to, to say is what is control? Control is a holding. Control is a constriction, really. When we're trying to control, we're actually stopping the flow Mm -hmm. of energy and we're trying to force it it's moving in one way and we're trying to force it into a, a different path that that it's not ne necessarily inclined to go when we let go as you say let go surrender uh you allow the energy to move and the smart person will watch how the energy moves and align with that mm -hmm. and that's how you get the results you want versus trying to force the energy to to go in a direction that it just isn't ready to go i love that i love that and oftentimes um and this was this is um, one question to you is like if you're controlling the energy right if you're controlling the um the way the energy is moving through your body or around you in your aura do you think that will result in that energy getting blocked and then you have emotions such as stress anxiety depression are all of these, can these be traced back to some kind of energy or emotion that you aren't letting go of? <laughs> it can completely be traced back to that. And, okay. and that really leads into the whole uh, art and science of breath work, which is, mm -hmm. you know, which is designed to release these blocks. So let's talk about breath work. Now, you have a company which focuses on holistic health and the name of your company is Breath Flow Wellness. Mm -hmm. Now, why did you decide to start a company or you're an expert as well? Like why breathwork? Talk to us about why breathwork is important and what does it do for us? Why breathwork is important? Well, how important is breathing to you? Amazing. Right. I mean, it's in a way like when you look at um, just life itself, our bodies are designed to take in oxygen and then combine it with food and make electrons. And these electrons are the source of our energy. And when you think of 
things like just, I mean, we can go over so many things, but like, let's talk about oxygen. Everyone loves to breathe in, but oxygen as well. Let's say, here's an experiment for all of you guys. Um, if it's safe to do so over the next couple of minutes, try to hold your breath for a minute, take in a deep breath and then hold it for a minute or like a minute and a half. When you get, when you cross the minute mark, you will find that there is some kind of an energy crisis in your body. And that is happening because your body isn't getting enough oxygen in. Now, like I mentioned, food combined with um, oxygen makes electrons. But if you remove oxygen from that mix, your ability to harness energy from any food or chemicals or whatever you're having gets reduced to 6%. That is how important air or oxygen is. And it's a, well, an use, element. Use the, the example, I don't know how many people out there understand the piston of an automobile. Yeah. I mean, you the piston is where the combustion happens, which drives the, the engine. Mm -hmm. the, the, the explosion that causes the mechanical turning of the wheels. What happens in the piston? Fuel is injected, but then oxygen is injected. If only fuel was injected, or why is, and then there's a spark, mm -hmm. and then the fuel and oxygen create the explosion. If you took, removed the oxygen and pumped in only fuel, you could pump in 10 times the amount of fuel. Mm -hmm. The spark goes off. If there's no oxygen there, there's no explosion. Oxygen is the catalyst that creates the, the uh, chemical reaction mm -hmm. that creates this explosion. So in our bodies, oxygen is the catalyst that creates essentially the explosion of energy that drives the cells. Mm -hmm. um, they call it ATP, basically, mm -hmm. that as you're saying, food and, the, and oxygen combine to then create the energy which drives a cell, just yep. like we create energy that drives a car. Mm -hmm. So oxygen is the vital catalyst of of life, I would say. Mm -hmm. And so I, I got back to, you know, I mean, you started on this question, you know, what, what's breath the importance of breath work? Yeah. It's like, well, how important is breathing? Mm -hmm. It is our most vital function. Yeah. We don't breathe for, you know, I mean, you can hold your breath for a minute. You can even hold your breath for two or three or four minutes when you're good. You uh, stop breathing for five or 10 minutes and you're out. It's, oh, it's over for you. So we need oxygen. We need it in abundance. Now, how many people have actually ever been taught how to breathe? Right? Oh. It, it's like, is there, it, it, does it make sense that maybe there's a proper way to breathe and, and maybe there's many improper ways to breathe? And I usually use the example to, for people to get, there's a proper way to walk. Mm -hmm. You know, when people walk, there, there's various ways we can walk. And so when you walk, if you look at your shoe, mm -hmm. I don't know, I, you know, some people on the inside of their shoe, it's worn mm -hmm. down. So they, what they call pronate. Okay. I think that's pronating. Mm -hmm. if, if the shoe on the backside or on the outside is worn down, that's supinating. You're, you're mm -hmm. favoring the outside of your foot. Well, either of those is dysfunctional. Like if, if you find that you're, you're wearing your shoe down in one side or the other more than, mm -hmm. than a balanced wear on your shoe. See, my shoe is very balanced because I've actually, uh, uh, 
practiced walking and healthy walking. If you, if you walk too much on the outside or too much on the inside, you start to develop knee issues. You start to develop hip, hip issues, back issues. And, and this can really lead to chronic pain and, and suffering through your life. So there is an improper way to walk and there's a proper way to walk. So similarly, there's an improper way to breathe and there's a proper way to breathe. And most of us have never been taught really how to breathe. So we've just gone about it like, you know, I guess I'm breathing right, but then life hits us. Yeah. in in this way or that way, which ends up modifying the way that we breathe and it creates more and more dysfunction in the way we breathe. And then, then all of a sudden we, we have a, a serious problem in our life and we're like, whoa, I didn't, didn't realize that I needed to breathe better. Mm-hmm. Also, when you when you say this, I think about the, um, I've been doing martial arts uh, in the first stage well, since I was 10. And uh, when you look at um, ancient martial artists, like you look at these monks uh, who practice Shaolin Kung Fu, or you go to India and you look at these yogis, or you look at uh, you know these people like Wim Hof, who've, who've recently got so much attention <clears throat> as like breathwork superstars. And one of the things that you would find is that they breathe very slowly and very deeply. So on an average, you would say that um, a person or these people, like a Tai Chi master or mm-hmm. an Indian yogi, would breathe about five to seven breaths per minute. And now when you think about it and you tell it to a normal person, oh, you have to only breathe five times a minute or seven times a minute, it becomes a bit bizarre because a lot of people these days, on an average, people would be breathing about 15 breaths per minute, right? And then you throw into, like you mentioned, chronic brain, inflammation, some kind of a disease or something where your body is like trying to tell you that things aren't right you take a subset of these people and then you suddenly see that from 15 breaths per minute, these people are breathing all the way to 30 breaths per minute. And now just as an example, like if you're breathing five breaths per minute, you're taking in an air volume of like two liters per minute. And the one that is breathing about 30 breaths per minute, they're taking an air volume of like 25 uh, 25 liters per minute. And what we see normally is that the faster you breathe, especially when you get stressed and things, you people tend to have this thing called mouth breathing. And people are normally, I, for the longest period of time, until unless I was introduced to breath work, I thought it's just easy and convenient to breathe from my mouth. So I would just do that again to the point that no one really taught me how to breathe. breathe. I remember asking my mother once uh, when I was a kid, because when I was growing up, I was really obese. And um, so I couldn't walk properly. I couldn't run properly. And then one question that I had once was like, Ma, how do I breathe? How do I breathe properly? She's like, I don't have to tell you that. Just like Just you, are, you are breathing right. Yeah. But no but one that, told me the importance that was of. pretty much the epitome of, of the world, right? It's like, how do I breathe right? You're breathing. So you're doing it right. Yeah, exactly. Wrong. <laughs> and then wrong. you take it one step further and you look at, athletes right and now when you are running a marathon or you're running a sprint or you're lifting a lifting weights at the gym your breath is probably foundational to your exercise performance uh, sports physiology because if you are doing a lot of like mouth breathing 
chances are you aren't inhaling so much of oxygen at that point because again when you breathe in like this when you breathe in like deeply and then you exhale very slowly where you have to get to about five to seven breaths per minute there is another thing that happens you are taking in oxygen but you're also controlling the amount of co2 that's coming out co2 is carbon dioxide and what a lot of recent studies have been showing that CO2 is probably as important as carbon di uh, as oxygen because the more CO2 because when I was growing up I always thought that CO2 is just like it's a metabolic byproduct of lactic acid formula uh, uh, accumulation and it's just something that we don't really need but then I was surprised to learn that when you have high levels of CO2 in your blood then it has this um, it has this carryover effect called the Bohr effect which is basically your red blood cells have hemoglobin and the hemoglobin is transporting oxygen into your, uh, to the rest of your body. But the, the point where you reach where the carbon dioxide goes up, it has this effect where it disassociates oxygen from the hemoglobin. So basically in simple words, it dumps all the oxygen back into the blood. And now you have more oxygen carrying around your, um, your brain, your heart, your kidneys. And the more oxygen you have, the better your performance is. Am I am I right in that yeah, in yeah. that point? So, so yeah, the more to a point, the more carbon dioxide in your blood that kind of attracts more oxygen into your system. It put in simple terms, yes. And you, um, well, we talk about like uh, you mentioned, we're always um, scared of dying, and most of the things like I speak a lot to my audience about anti aging and all of these peptides and things like that, that you can use for increasing your lifespan or your potential a little bit. But one of those free hacks is also um, breathing, because when you look at, let's say you look at examples from the animal kingdom, right? It's very, um, it's very apparent of a whale in colder environments that breathes uh, six times per minute, lives about like 200 years, a tortoise that can breathe about like four times a minute can live live up to 150 years. And there is also a certain species of rat, which is called the naked mole rat. And that lives in an environment where there is, it, it basically lives under the ground. So there is higher amount of CO2. And that rat can live up to 15 times longer than its cousins. And it's all because of controlling this breath having more oxygen, having more carbon dioxide. Well, the ancient yogis in India, uh, there's a philosophy that we have so many breaths. Our life is a, a mm -hmm. number of breaths. And so if you breathe those breaths faster, you run out of life faster. If you mm -hmm. breathe those breaths slower, you know, your, your span of life is longer. Um, you know, whether, whether that is true or not, um, you know, it speaks to the idea that as we slow down our breath, we sort of increase that longevity and, mm -hmm. and are able to live longer and healthier, generally speaking. And I like that you mentioned the fact about ATP, which is the cellular currency of energy that our body has. Now, when, when we spoke about this earlier, we mentioned that, you know, you have food and then you have air and then like the combustion engine that you mentioned. And one of the organelles that are in every human cell, you have tens to thousands of this organelle, it's called the mitochondria. And the mitochondria is responsible for producing that energy output, which is ATP or adenosine triphosphate. But there is another thing, right? 
everyone's been talking about mitochondria for the longest period of time, but then there is something called as peroxisomes, which is also an organelle that lives inside the cell. Now, if you, from the research that I've seen, is that if you can control your breathe, uh, breathing, and you know you could do it by breath work, it could just be out of your conscious effort of like you know just taking slow and deep breaths, you also trigger these peroxisomes to do something else, which is make new mitochondria in a process which we normally call mitochondrial biogenesis, which is um, just generating new, new and younger mitochondria. So as we age, our mitochondria also gets old. And when these energy machines um, are old, they aren't as efficient as producing energy. But then this was very interesting to me that when you can control your breath in a way, you activate peroxisomes and then these peroxisomes are responsible for building new and younger mitochondria. So now these younger mitochondria have so much resilience, they have so much more energy potential, mm. <clears throat> and then you just use that energy for everything in life. So it just speaks to the, the uh, regenerative nature of the body in that we don't have to buy into this model that as we get older, we basically get weaker and less resilient. And mm. uh, that shows up because people continue to abuse their body and don't practice the things that help to regenerate the body such as the, the breathing that you're talking about and such. So um, we do have the ability, I fully believe whatever age that you pass from this earth on, you can keep a healthy, strong, resilient body right up into that. You don't have, you know, death does not equal having to be decrepit and in a wheelchair and unable to walk or, you know, unable to perform, uh, functions that you could when you were 30 or 40 years old, you know, so, uh, so health is something that we can maintain right up to the, the point where we finally shed this mortal coil. Um, do you have any favorite breathwork strategies that you normally would advise to people like people <coughs> who are listening in right now, people, there are people who are, um, logged in live and people probably haven't really heard about breathwork and things like that. So give us like your favorite, is that a question? I don't know. I'm look, like looking, <laughs> looks like somebody. Looks like a question. Okay. I'm going to read that question up. Let's see what people are asking. I am pleasuring. Uh, okay. Amazing. This doesn't need to be answered. <laughs> we'll talk about this one later. Well, basically this person is just telling us that we're doing great. So thank you, Brandon. Um, another one is, uh, so what's your favorite work strategies? Uh, what do you teach in your courses? I know you have something called as a transformative breath. Well, I, I teach my, my, uh, basic technique is the breath flow integrative breathing technique, which is, um, which is actually an accelerated breath pattern, which is breathe through the mouth, which we have to qualify, um, why we do this but to, um, to sort of bring all the topics together. One is to help us to let go of control, to get more into the flow of life, mm -hmm. to enhance our physical abilities to, um, to manage breath and oxygen and, and be better at our capabilities. Uh, and, you know, um, and to learn to breathe better. Mm -hmm. So then when you're, when you mentioned about breathing from the mouth, is this some version of 
what they teach in the Kundalini style of yoga, which is a fire breath? Uh, it's not not so much that. It's uh, it's a very particular breathing. That the the breath work that I teach, I've traced back to the origins began around the 1970s with a technique called rebirthing. Mm -hmm. So rebirthing was started by a man named Leonard Orr. It branched out into holotropic breath, which mm -hmm. the Stanislav Grof uh, developed. Apparently Leonard Orr gave Stanislav Grof his first uh, breath session. So that inspired him. That one's well known out there in the world. Uh, I went uh, down the school of the transformational breath before you know tweaking it and developing my own style uh so that's where this kind of breath work comes more the the ancient practices of pranayama and, and such generally were more control oriented they're mm -hmm. about you know getting being able to transcend your uh, your normal uh faculties of, of breathing and, and bring yourself into a calmer, uh, more focused state of mind. Conversely, this, this kind of breathing is meant to stir things up in a way. It means to, that um, at the core of all this, we, when we talked about energies and holding mm -hmm. and uh, the you know, control, is, is that we, we hold on to different energies in our body. Most of those energies are related to emotional experiences that we've had in our lives where we've had an emotional experience, but we didn't want to experience it. So we held on to it or it was very traumatic. We didn't know how to really experience it. So we held on to it or we tried to avoid it. So we held on to it. All this held energy is still energy that needs to be played out, needs mm -hmm. to come to completion, but it's inside of us trying to get out but we're we're trying to hold it down mm -hmm. and what's interesting is to hold it we have to exert a lot of a lot of energy and a lot of tension and so when people start experiencing chronic pain in their body but they haven't necessarily had a, an accident or an injury or something like that it's often uh if not always the case that this held emotional energy i mean we're we're holding it in various parts of our body. For instance, anger tends to be held in our shoulders and neck. So if you got shoulder and neck pain, chronic shoulder and neck pain, it's likely that you have a lot of unexpressed anger. You ever heard that expression? He's a pain in the neck, you know? Yeah. That's because this guy is, you're mad at this person, and but you're not expressing it. And then you build that tension mm -hmm. of anger in your neck and eventually it starts to hurt. So mm. you feel this pain in your neck. You see that guy, he's a pain in your neck. Yeah. So, so the idea is we want to let go of that energy and allow it to flow and allow it to integrate, as we like to say. And this breathwork technique is designed to do that, to, to get in there, to stir up our energies. Uh, sometimes it can be, it can feel a little chaotic or a little, uh, out of balance for a short period of time as these energies are getting mm -hmm. worked up. But the idea is to offload them, to, to integrate that energy so that then we are in more alignment, more balance, and can then perform at our optimal levels. All this held energy, again, is, is 
as we were talking about earlier, we're not letting the energy flow naturally. Mm -hmm. And when we let energy flow naturally is when we're in the most harmony with, with the natural way of things, which is where we can perform our best or think mm -hmm. our best or, you know, be our op optimal healthy selves. Yeah, I would definitely agree because the moment you hold on to something, whether it's like emotions or things like that, you also have, so our bodies are made up with so many things, right? You have the adrenals that releases these stress hormones like cortisol. And every time you held on to something, you have more cortisol that increases in your bloodstream. And what happens as a matter of fact is like chronic cortisol release is linked to inflammation and inflammation is linked to all diseases of aging, right? So they call it inflammation and your adrenals. So there's, there's something called as the HPA axis or the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. So your hypothalamus is in your brain is the control center of a lot of things like your emotions. Your one of the interesting things that it controls is your hormones and your, um, the way when you get hungry or, you know, your satiety hormones or your hunger hormones, then you have the pituitary, which can control things like, it can control things like melatonin release. It could control things like testosterone, estrogen. And then you have the adrenals, which then release all these glucocorticoid uh, releasing hormones such as cortisol. So when you're, when you're like angry or like you try to hold on these emotions, you increase a lot of these stress hormones. And for anyone who's listening, try to approach a situation where you're stressed Nine times out of 10, those things, it, you won't be able to be your best because stressful thinking, it clogs. I mean, you know, you can have the sympathetic nervous system overdrive where your blood is like, it goes to your extremes and, you know, you're in this fight or flight mode and you're not kind of just your rest and digest mode. And also it shuts off logical thinking. So your logical thinking is governed by a center of your brain called the prefrontal cortex. And the prefrontal cortex has seven level uh seven or five i don't uh, remember it right but all these levels and it's all governed by you know if you're stressed in a situation should you run away or do you think you can manage it in some way and that's where your logical center kicks in but then when you have all these emotions running through you're just like oh man i'm just stuck and i can't do anything and then you know you hit you throw your phone away and it's happened it's, it's not like it doesn't happen to me. It happens to me from time to time. I want to run away from situations. I want to just like throw my things at something. Just don't want to talk to someone. But that is that emotion build up. And I like um, in one of your interviews, I saw that you gave these examples of uh, rocks in your backpack. Mm -hmm. So if you want to share that, because I think that everyone can relate to. Well, if you if you think about the, these emotions that you hold on to, they weigh you down. Right. So they, they cause you not to perform at your highest uh, functional level. So I, I use the example of say you've got a backpack on and every, every emotional experience that you have that you choose not to allow to express and, and, uh, and play out is like you put another rock in that backpack. And then, you know, you have another emotion that you don't express. You know, somebody makes you angry, but you, you hold that in. You put another rock in. You put another rock in. Well, pretty soon, you're walking around in the day with a, a, a backpack full of 25 kilos of rocks, mm -hmm. right? You are, and if you can imagine that, it's, it's heavy. It, it, it's a tax on your system. You, you're tired. You're, mm -hmm. you're strained. You, you're, 
and you're wondering why life is so difficult yeah. because, you know, it's because you're holding on, on this backpack full of rocks, right? So if you could um, just take that backpack off and let those rocks fall, that's people often describe that experience like, you know, they say, oh, I feel like such a weight came off my shoulders. You know, when, when, when you feel relieved, when you, you release some emotion, it's like, oh, I feel so much lighter. Well, that's because you took off this backpack of rocks, you know, uh, almost literally all of this weight of the, the, this emotional baggage is released and we feel lighter. We feel more, we get our energy back because so much of that, of your energy is diverted to, you know, holding, holding on to that, that backpack. So when it's finally done, you can now use that energy to, to think clearer or to perform better or whatever you want to do with it. Apart from breathwork, what other um, things have you come across that can let people go off that backpack or let them release that stuck energy? Um, well, there, there's a lot of techniques. You just... you. Tell us your I, favorite. I would say, you know, the one thing is to make the intention to do that. So, I mean, breath, sound, and movement, mm -hmm. okay, are our three fundamental uh, therapies, I would say, mm -hmm. that, that are built in. So, so any kind of breath work. Um, and that includes you know, let's say physical exercise, just mm -hmm. going to the gym and working it out. I mean, that's, that, that's a commonly known thing. Oh, I'm, I got a lot of pent up energy or I'm really angry. Go I'm going to go punch class. the bag, yeah. you know, why is that? Because movement and the breath that's, uh, that's in there and even, uh -huh, you know, the grunting mm -hmm. and all this, this is moving energy. This is offloading this energy that's stuck and pent up in you. And releasing it so that you know that's one way yoga is one of my favorites because you can i mean i don't know if you've ever been to a yoga class where you know we get into a pose and and some woman you know a couple uh rows down starts crying you know mm -hmm. it's because we've unlocked a channel of that energy and it starts to flow and then it just flows out of her uh sound healing is is um to me one of the best uh and I think one of the most fundamental forms of sound healing is singing. Mm -hmm. Singing, whether it's singing songs that you know or just singing spontaneously sounds, notes, um, whether you are a good singer or not, vocalizing uh, sound is a way of channeling energy out and, and your ability to, to release that energy. So those are kind of my favorites. I think... Um those are brilliant for anyone who is listening to this. If it's safe to do so, please take notes because this is great information. And I think uh, personally, Christian, like one of the things that has been the most underused in the performance industry or like, you know, um, I know the, the people who are into healing and things like that have used it a lot, which was your last point of sound and sound healing. Because sound is, I mean, it's tangible, like it's, but it's invisible at the same time, right? So we don't tend to focus our attention on things that are invisible because, you know, with exercise, you can sweat and, you know, you can lift up the weights, you can punch the bag with your, but with sound, you cannot do that. It's just surrendering, uh, surrendering, if I can say that right, to this 
invisible form of energy and then hoping that it takes you somewhere. Now, there are so many different ways to do it, right? You've got the Tibetan sound bowls, you have the gongs, and um, in a lot of shamanic practices, they would normally use a lot of these um, sound-based things. But And every sound has a resonance, right? A resonance of frequency. Now, we know that if you're... If you hear the word OM at 428 hertz or 512 hertz, then it also vibrates all of your organs in a certain way and they kind of like release or channelize those energies efficiently. But why do you think like, do you, or maybe do you think that people these days are paying more attention to sound? And again, to the point that you mentioned that, you know, singing is also a good way. Singing is a good way to even activate your vagus nerve which is the 10th cranial nerve in the body, which is the essence of, well, basically it runs from your brainstem to all your body and it's responsible for communication and whether you activate the vagus nerve by uh, singing loudly or gargling or things like that, it also builds up a lot of resilience because most of the times it is your vagus nerve which has not been able to deal with some kind of stressors and then that emotion spins up into like anger or frustration and things like that. So I didn't, uh, I didn't quite catch the question. There. So the question is like, do you think that recently a lot of people have been paying attention onto this sound? Oh yeah, uh, most definitely. Because I mean, when it gets down to it, I'd say there's this confluence right now of science and spirituality, or, or science and the esoteric, where 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 the two kind of meet is in the realms of vibration and frequency that you know one of the the most fundamental equations of science is everything is energy mm -hmm. you know and what is energy energy is a wave a wave and a wave how we distinguish one wave for another is the frequency of that wave mm -hmm. the the amount of oscillations of that wave so you know as we're talking sort of the they say the heart resonant frequency is, I think, 528 hertz or something like mm -hmm. that. And, um, you know, I mean, music goes from 20 hertz to 20,000 hertz or something. So or the audible sound, you know, this is all on a spectrum of frequencies. Beyond that is, um, you know, we start getting into um, ultrasonic frequencies and, you know, radio frequencies and microwave frequencies mm -hmm. and things. And we know, I mean, we know one of the, one of the modern inventions of uh, using frequency is a microwave. Mm -hmm. um, I don't advise using one, but, but the fact that it, you know, it harnessed the power of the frequency, you know, microwave frequencies, which are very, you know, micro, very mm -hmm. small uh, wave frequencies that will, when that frequency hits water, essentially, it vibrates water so much that it heats it up. And that's what heats food, basically, when, that you put in a microwave. So, you know, to, to take that understanding and recognize that all frequencies have some kind of effect. Some are positive, some aren't so positive. Uh, when we recognize, it's recognized that beings every living thing has a resonant frequency of mm -hmm. its own. And so the, the simple equation in sound healing is we're looking for frequencies that harmonize with our frequency. In other words, 
if we're resonating here, we want something that's along the lines or something that's in a multiple of that, that's going to amplify mm-hmm. our frequency. And, and on the other side, you know, frequencies that are out of alignment with ours are detrimental to us. So um, how there's a technology today that has actually used this to our advantage, which is called noise canceling technology, right? Noise is going at a frequency. And so the noise canceling technology looks at that frequency and creates an opposite frequency that then neutralizes the, the wave of the noise. Thereby we hear minimal cancel it and hear minimal noise. All right. Now that's a positive thing, but if we're talking about our frequency and we meet with frequencies that are out of alignment with us, it's going to cancel our frequency, which is, you know, which leads to degeneration, um, diseases, ultimately death is mm. the, the final cancellation of mm. our frequency. So, yeah, it's very interesting that you speak about frequencies in that way, because <laughs> again, like you mentioned microwave and then, you know, you could, as you move up and up, up that frequency mark, you have things like electromagnetic radiation and things that we get from traveling and from Wi-Fi routers and mobile phones. That is one reason that I always keep my phone in airplane mode every time I'm, it's on me is because our bodies are used to having uh, some things like, because the earth is vibrating at a frequency as well. You have the Schumann resonance, which is 7.38 mm-hmm. hertz. And that's the frequency that, um, for example, me and Christian are harnessing right now. You guys can't see it, but we're um, under our feet. We have a grounding or an earthing mat, which is connected directly to the ground. And it's supplying us with the negative electrons and the frequency of the earth right under our feet. So as we are sitting in this lovely room, but we're still connected to the ground and grounded. So that's a good example. Like we are made of the earth. So our frequency is in harmony with the frequency of the earth. So to be able to get in situations where you can uh, be exposed more to the frequency of the earth. And this mat is one of those ways of, you know, modern, uh, a modern technology way. Here we are in a house that's steel and concrete and electrical wires. So it's like, it is interfering with the frequency of the earth that, that you create a mat that can actually you know, bring that earth frequency up here. Of course, the, the easiest way to get in touch with the frequency of the earth is go stand on the <laughs> earth, right? It, and, you know, or swim in the ocean. I mean, the ocean is another one of those that, you know, I mean, there's waves of life moving. You know, we can actually see them on the surface of the ocean, but waves of energy are consistently pulsating through the ocean. And uh, it's a very regenerative um, experience to to. That's why people so go there, like baptisms and things like that are, are rooted in this idea that the, you know, that we are washed with these frequencies and regenerated or renewed as a result. I mean, yeah, along with that, you have, if you're going to the ocean in the day, then you have the sun. So you have a full spectrum of light, which is also a source of life that comes in. It hits your body. You were walking on either the beach or, you know, hopefully you're not wearing shoes or something, but then you enter the water and then you have these spectrum of minerals that transdermally get absorbed. And then it again restarts this regenerative process. Like I've heard that the ocean's water is like the amniotic fluid of the placenta and is just the same reviving energy. Like you mentioned, 
And it's, it's great because our bodies are also um, electrically sensitive. So every time your body gets hit with this non-native EMF, you have your cells are driving more calcium into the cell, then they have something called as voltage-gated calcium channels, which then, um, uh, this, this is the word from uh, just so many of these electrical um, geniuses which say that, okay, every time you get hit with these frequencies, your cells open up these spaces and then there's calcium that drives into the cell and what happens is that these cells get excited to a point that they start dying. So when you're not connecting with the Earth's frequency or not going to the ocean or not walking, walking on a grass, you're always in this state of hyper arousal because that's exciting your cells. And now we see the, you know, from the time the shoes have come on and like, you know, we're losing this connection with the Earth. There is ADHD. There is so many of these nuanced problems that are coming into the yeah, society. Yeah. Now, you mentioned that, you know, like so many people have been doing this for the longest period of time. Like you look at ancient shamanic traditions and like the Indian traditions and people in Mexico doing different kind of things. Now, one, we speak about consciousness, spirituality, breath is probably like things like holotropic breath work is probably one of the very powerful ways of understanding, uh, you know, what's beyond what you can see. Mm. LSD might be one, but there's also other things, right? Plant medicine, for example, which gives you a complete different idea of what's going on. Have you experimented with plant medicines? Well, I used to work at a retreat called Rhythmia Life Advancement Center, which is located in Costa Rica, which it was the, the first and only licensed um, facility to administer plant medicine in the world. Oh, I would there's, love there's, to go there. there's, many, um, there's many facilities nowadays. I mean, they've cropped up everywhere, but this is the only one that's actually licensed. And yeah, the... I went there as the director of the breathwork program. So they did plant medicine, but they also did breathwork. And I feel like, you know, what we're talking about, I think we're talking earlier about biohacking, essentially mm -hmm. ways to ways to understand that we are more than the limited concept of, of what we think we are. And, you know, so the many of those ways can be natural. Many of those ways can be, Additive meaning we, we bring something into our um, our system that that helps us shift our perspective, and so that's what plant medicine or LSD or, or something like that. You know, a lot of the the psychotropic uh, um, substances and things are are getting a lot of attention these days because they are helping people understand that we've been we basically put ourselves in a box. We, mm -hmm. we learn what life is meant to be by whoever else, you know, before us taught us, mm -hmm. you know, th this is how you do things and this is how it runs. And we just, uh, I often say it's like water to a fish. A fish has no idea that it's in water, right? It just, it's, there, water is its environment, and it, it can't tell whether it's dirty water or clean water or, or what have you. So we don't, we just take for granted that life is how we've been taught it is. Mm -hmm. There's a fundamental understanding until we start to pop ourselves out of that box and say, whoa, I've been in this box, but I see that outside the box there's so much more and and now we start to expand our box and, and learn how to 
learn how to maximize our potential, which, you know, from a spiritual perspective gets, you know, gets in the philosophy that we are, we are all creations of the one divine energy. In essence, we have the seed, if you will, of God within each of us so that we, we are meant to express godliness, right? That all of us has the potential to be as, magnificent as whatever you can conceive God to be. So, um, but we've learned that, oh, you're a bad person or you're a sinner or you're, um, or you have these these limitations or, you know, you can only do so much because you're only that smart or whatever, you know, so, so life has taught us to think that we're less than supreme and divine. And, these these biohacks, these of which breathworks one, the you know the plant medicines and these psychotropic things, and um, you, you know f- fasting can be um, mm-hmm. um, sweat lodges, you know things that that push us beyond our boundaries, make us realize that these are artificial boundaries that we've created boundaries. Once we're pushed beyond them, we thought we you know we thought that was the end. The boundary was the end. You know, there's an end to the universe. Now we just, you know, no, it just keeps on going and going. You know, you get to the end and you're like, oh, there's mm-hmm. still more and you, you keep on going. So, so these things are helping us now to, to recognize that we have more potential than we heretofore thought we did. And that, um, that's creating quite a revolution in this day and age. Well, I honestly have been Two years ago, I planned to do my ayahuasca journey, and um, then the first time I couldn't travel, then COVID happened, and I was planning to do it either in Costa Rica or Peru, and then their embassies were shut. They weren't giving any visas, so I took it as a sign that, oh, it's not my time yet, but uh, I, I haven't tried these things yet, but I'm very curious to kind of dive into the world and like understand what is beyond I mean, I've heard that some people can have experiences which are kind of like not so pleasant and some people uh, can just ride along that wave. Well, right. So this gets back to our idea of control, right? Circling back to the beginning of this whole thing. When you, especially in plant medicine, it can happen in breath work as well. When you want to be in control, that's usually where the unpleasantness comes in Mm -hmm. the, if I could, if I could boil down the spiritual life to one concept, which shows up in these, uh, mind expanding experiences, it is surrender, surrender or letting go. Right. Which is Mm -hmm. the opposite of control. Control is trying to, to hold on and steer. Surrender is to let go, let things flow and then find your flow within that. So when you're, when you're having, when you're in a plant medicine experience, that substance has overtaken you for a certain period of time. As long as it's in your system, you, you can't run from it at that point. Mm -hmm. And this is where somebody takes something and they're like, oh, I don't, uh, this is unfamiliar to me. I don't like this. I want to feel the way I want to feel, which Mm -hmm. is control, right? I want to feel the way I normally feel. Now you're, now you're fighting with the feeling 
It's like you're not feeling like you normally feel because this substance is in you, but you want to, so but you're not. Yeah. So there's the, there's always there's this the clash of energy, right? So what do you do instead? You're like I, you know, I, this is unfamiliar, but let's surrender to it. Let's just go with it. And in that experience, then you drop into the the feeling. What they, you know, a, a mentor of mine once said: um, consider that the the pain and suffering you feel in any experience is about ten percent the experience itself. The other ninety percent is resistance to that experience. Wow. Okay. So. So again, in this equation, if you're you're fighting with the, this this plant medicine experience, you're going to suffer because you, you know you've you've just uh, multiplied your suffering ten mm-hmm. times mm-hmm. by uh, by resisting, resisting it. You let go. Maybe there's a a little bit of discomfort within it, but it, well, again, literally ten times less discomfort manageable to get through it. And then when you learn how to how to really be with that, um, with that experience, it can actually become quite pleasant, quite enlightening, and um, quite life changing. Well, okay. So the trick is to give up control, <laughs> like <laughs> like we mentioned in the beginning of this podcast. Now, uh, if you breath work can help you do that, that's breath the work one, can help you do that. A, now, um, now you've you do breath work courses. People can log on. Uh, do you do online courses as well? I do. If uh, you know, I mean, the best way people find me is to go to my website breathflow.com and and see. Unfortunately, of course, because of COVID, uh, a lot of my uh, live uh, used to do seminars and and workshops in, in live formats and all that. I've done Dubai's a bit more open and, and mm-hmm. such, and um, you, you know done some things in small groups here and there that's you know in a, allowable situations but uh so most of my work right now is done online mm-hmm. i do individual sessions and have done group sessions you know in the zoom format basically yeah. and at first i thought well this is a very this very interpersonal type of uh process and didn't think that it would really translate but i was surprised at the feedback that i was getting from people who are actually doing it online especially those who had never done it live before that they were getting um as powerful of experiences in some case i'd say even more powerful experiences than than some of the live sessions that i've done and i think in some ways there there's some benefits people are more relaxed they're in their own home Mm -hmm. you know they're not in a that you know, I mean, when somebody come to see me for the first time, it's it's a very it's a vulnerable process because we're you know we're opening up, we're mm-hmm. we're letting our shit out basically, yeah. and um, you know, being being physically present with a stranger, me being the stranger, in other words, even though they come to see me, you know, so that sometimes there's a little bit Discomfort, of hesitation yeah. and all that. So being being in the comfort of their own home. Um, being, uh, you know, whatever other elements it seems to support their, their process even more. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's been very valuable and that, so people can find me on breathflow.com. They can contact me there. 
there's a contact me page. Um, if they have any questions based on this interview, mm -hmm. uh, if they're interested in breath work, either for, for performance enhancement, you know, physical performance enhancement for emotional release, which is related to physical performance mm -hmm. enhancement or to, you know, that spiritual, um, uh, awakening and evolution. That's, that's my favorite, uh, path to get there to, to get there exactly and uh would you be doing any more i before we started this interview we were offline chatting and you mentioned that you might be here in um this year end of the year in dubai yeah in dubai yeah i plan i mean my best plan again you make plans and then god laughs as mm -hmm. they say but my p plan would be to come back when the weather is beautiful here okay. so near the end of october into november um, I, I'd like to, like my, my best plan would to be here, to, mm -hmm. would be to be here, um, mm -hmm. during those, those beautiful months, yeah. November to April or so. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, in these hot months, yeah. be back in Colorado and California where it's beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> that time. Now, um, guys, this is, this interview has been fantastic. And now you know where to get hold of Christian and you can, you know that he's coming back to Dubai. So if you have any questions, you want to contact him for anything, please feel free to do that. We'll put his website details on the show notes as well. And now we're almost at the end of this interview. And Christian, I have this one question that I have to ask you, right? Now, if you had a time machine, let's say there had been a time machine, but again, in your consciousness, you can go back and, um, you could rewind back time. You could go back like 20 years, 30 years and give yourself one or maybe two pieces of advice, knowing all that you know right now, <sighs> what would that be? Something that could also relate to our audience and something that they could take away from this interview today. What would that be that one piece of advice? Um, my, my one piece of advice would be before, uh, and I would go back in time just enough before Nike got the slogan, so that you could trademark it, but ju <laughs> just do it, right? Um, and, you know, independent of the Nike trademark, to, to say that um, take more chances, okay. uh, get involved in the things. When something inspires you to go try it out and not be afraid of failing, as we mm -hmm. were talking about in the beginning, it's like that, that, that failure is the path to success, like the path, well, you could say the path to success is paved with failures. Basically you fail. If you want to use that failure is basically just a success in the making. You're, mm -hmm. you know, um, you may have heard the, the Thomas Edison story guy who invented the light bulb tried 10,000 different filaments, things to, you know, the, the wires in the light bulb mm -hmm. to, to, to light the bulb, 10,000 different ones. I mean, most people would have quit after trying five, yep. right? But, or, you know, let alone maybe a thousand or something, but to, to try 10,000 different filaments to finally get, I think it's tungsten filament that, that create the incandescent light bulb and, uh, you know, it changed the world, yep. right? Uh, but he didn't give up. He kept trying. And so, so the idea that, uh, you know, that, failure is actually getting you closer to success and not to, so, so not to view it as failure, but to view it as 
a stepping stone. A stepping to stone, success right? Exactly. And be and, more persistent and uh, and just try those things that inspire you, rather than be afraid that you might fail, so you never give try it, it in the first place. Which uh, which seals the deal that you did fail. Essentially, mm -hmm. you failed to accomplish something that you really wanted to do because you never tried it in the first place. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you for all the work that you've been doing. Thank you for the wisdom that you've shared with all of us. Thank you for being here. Thank you for everything. Mm -hmm. And um, I hope to see you the next time you're here. You're leaving soon, so I hope to spend some time with you the next time you're here. And this is CJ signing out from the Shift with CJ podcast. I hope you guys have got a lot. I don't hope, but I know that you guys have got a lot of value from this. And uh, see you in the next podcast. We're going off now. Thank you so much for your presence. Your time and presence with us through this podcast is highly appreciated. If you want to learn more, then head over to our website www.shiftwithcj.com